Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 435th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world in this, our 10th year, from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. This is the place where technology meets entertainment. I must apologize in advance. I've had the flu, and uh, once you get it, it is damn hard to shake. So um, my voice is just a trifle croaky, so I apologize for that. Have you ever wondered... What makes Kickstarter campaigns go from virality, you know, and they catch on like wildfire, and how they go from there to viability? You may remember Romp Him, the men's one-piece jumpsuit startup a couple of years ago. It went viral and went absolutely nuts. They um, were looking to raise $10,000, and they raised 353000 in less than a week. So that's what you call a, an incredible campaign. Wow, that's a bonanza. You can just imagine the guys who started it sitting there thinking, geez, we wanted 10 and we've got 353. I'll go and buy a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and park it out the front and I'm going to be made. Well... Didn't happen exactly like that. This week, they announced plans to shut down. So, although lots of Kickstarter products like Peloton and PopSocket managed to become very successful, full-fledged businesses, Rompim's failure shows that viral fame and a rapid fundraising result doesn't always make a good long-term marketing strategy. You know, they started with a big bang. They raised all that money in the days following. They um, appeared in Vogue and Elle and GQ, Esquire, Washington Post, CNN, Time. Everybody wanted to talk to them. Everybody wanted a piece of them. So Rompim looked like it was an assured success. You know, the four guys that started Rompham started it in business school and they ran the company as a sort of a side hustle. But despite their early success after they raised their money and got lots of publicity, they had to shut down their funding period three weeks early because even though they'd only been going for three weeks they ran into imminent supply chain issues due to the fact that the response was so fantastic. Then the company started showing signs of strain and in 2019, its social media posts slowed. It slashed the price of its products and ultimately failed. So why didn't Rompim succeed? You'd think it had all of the ingredients for a huge success. (coughs) Roy Morrigan a crowdfunding consultant who's helped 68 inventors raise $1 million or more on Kickstarter through his agency, Aventus, explained that many viral Kickstarters are one-hit wonders. He said viral launches can help make an early splash. It helps you get lots of publicity, but usually can't sustain long-term businesses. In order to be successful, (coughs) excuse me, you have to put a ton of marketing effort behind products if you want to even make six figures, far less make them a huge success. So how do you avoid becoming a one-hit wonder? Well, Marajon suggests Kickstarter's keen on launching a full business should, firstly, confirm that real-life customers actually want their product. So many companies 
think this is such a great idea that <clears throat> everybody's going to want my product without actually doing any testing to see if anybody actually does want it. They also often have just one product line and they don't think about how they're going to sustain the business going forward. And they don't make production plans if the business happens to double or in the case of these guys, they went up tenfold and they couldn't compete with and they couldn't cope with it. Of course, even if all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, there's still no guarantees. You know, stuff, some stuff hits, some stuff doesn't. The one thing for sure is it takes a ton of very smart marketing and a hell of a lot of 18-hour days to make Kickstarter projects super successful. Not only Kickstarter projects, all projects. Now, are you one of those people who gets groceries delivered to your home because you think, like my wife does, that grocery shopping is an absolute pain in the butt? It seems like more people are doing it every day. You see great lineups of people in the stores shopping for people who have ordered online. So why can't the companies who deliver groceries make it work? The delivery company Skipcart has just cancelled his partnership with Walmart, and that's another supply chain breakup for the grocery giant. There's been a few of them. The move highlights a dilemma in the war to keep the to bring the brown paper bags to your doorstep. Online delivery is booming, but nobody can make any money out of it. And the competition to deliver your groceries is tight. You've probably noticed there are dozens of companies in this space now, and the task can be a logistics nightmare. Almost every company that's in home-delivered groceries has a nightmare story to tell. Fresh Direct, which is now making a comeback after years of struggles, angered customers by delivering things like broken eggs, less than good fruit, and that killed the business. And before Walmart ended delivery partnership with Deliv, delivery sometimes had to wait 40 minutes to collect orders from the store. Now, if you're getting almost nothing for delivering these brown bags full of groceries and you have to wait 40 minutes to collect orders from the store, that is real waste. You'll go broke really fast. And delays have consequences. One survey found that 80% of customers would switch shopping brands if they didn't get their stuff on time or if they couldn't track the deliveries all the way to their door. In another survey, 97% of grocery executives said that grocery delivery is unsustainable unless it could be done more cheaply. So the reality is that the grocery delivery model simply doesn't work today. Everybody is losing their shirt on it. I hate to say it, but this is going to be another blow to jobs. The one possible solution to the grocery delivery problem is robots. Walmart's recently announced a pilot program to test autonomous grocery delivery using just that. Robots to select the products robots to load them into an autonomous vehicle, an autonomous vehicle to take them to your door, and an autonomous robot to deliver it to you. Uh, no people. So you don't have to worry about getting good wages. You just have to worry about getting a good job. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business leader? 
<coughs> newsletter. Oh. We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to a minute to read every day. And every day we tackle a different subject. From advances in medicine, we talk about new apps, new technologies. We talk about Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, artificial intelligence, Bitcoin, all of that stuff. And it's new information every day. And um, often we'll report things up to a couple of months before they hit the major media. So you can be a couple of months ahead on your stories. In tomorrow's newsletter, we discuss how artificial intelligence is working in healthcare. AI can pick out abnormal growths that could be cancerous tumours much better than doctors can. And there's a whole range of other things that artificial intelligence is doing better than doctors. You should know about this stuff. And the Bob Pritchard newsletter delivers the latest in business stories. And as I said, up to a couple of months before the traditional news outlets report them. So the one out information source you can trust for the latest up-to-date business information is my newsletter, the Bob Pritchard Daily Business Newsletter. And to receive it, just go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and subscribe. And of course, if you want to hire me for a speech or you want me to do anything or you want to consult with our company, you'll find it all there at bobpritchard.com. Let's say you subscribe to Hulu and Netflix. It's easy, isn't it? You just pay your monthly fee and off you go. But would you subscribe to BMW or Porsche or Mercedes or Bentley, or any of those people. For a monthly fee, subscriptions give drivers more flexibility than a purchase or a lease. What kind of cars can you subscribe to? Practically every type of car there is. But you don't actually own a car with a subscription service, just as you don't own the car if you're leasing. Instead, you get the use of the car for an all-inclusive monthly fee. The typical fee covers insurance, roadside assistance and maintenance. A key a feature, though, is your ability to flip in and out of different cars, some of them every day. You can change your car every day. And who does it? BMW, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, Ford, Lincoln, Porsche, Volvo, Lexus, Cadillac, you can subscribe to a car. So what's the advantage of subscribing to a car? Well, convenience, you just set up, set it up online and manage via smartphone and uh, they deliver the car to you. Flexibility, you can change cars every day. I don't like the sedan today, I want a, a cabriolet. Potential cost savings, there's no down payments or financing charges. You don't have to negotiate, the fees are set. You've got less commitment. Some subscription services can be as short as a month. And it's easier to finance into a subscription service than a traditional finance contract. So what are the disadvantages? Well, if you want to own your car, you should out of luck. Can't do that. There's restrictions on car use. Most impose rules on track on drivers, and most of them have vehicle tracking, so they know where you're going every minute of the day. And what do they cost? Well, BMW is about $1,100 a month, and you can switch over your cars. Mercedes-Benz is $1,095 a month. Porsche is $2,000 a month. Now, it seems pretty expensive to me. I drive a Mercedes, and I don't pay anywhere near $1,095 a month. So are they cheaper than buying or leasing? Well, only Volvo's subscription cost is less than the average lease. They will um, check your credit and driving history before they let you join. You'll need a credit card to sign up, and you'll have to agree that the company can check your driving record. There are usually mileage limits, 
restrictions on how you use the car. You can't transport your pets unless you put them in carriers. You can't smoke in the car. Additional drivers have got to be authorised by the company in advance. You're limited to the continental United States, so no tripping off to Mexico. I think I'll stick to leasing. I've got a question, though. Why do people name their kids Mercedes, Lexus and Porsche, where most of these kids look like Buicks and Fords? My guest today is Steve Kahan, a serial entrepreneur that has successfully grown six startup companies from early stage development to going public or being sold, resulting in more than $3 billion in shareholders' value. That is phenomenal. He is currently CMO at Thycotic, a name that I absolutely love, and that's going to become his seventh major success story. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Steve in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the part of the show where we talk to extraordinary people, people that have enjoyed great success and are making a difference. There are some amazingly talented people on this planet, and I love to speak with them because they've defied the odds at a time when somewhere around 98% of all new businesses fail. My interviewees have cracked the code. They've found the secrets to success and they can teach us how to do the same. My aim in these interviews is to find out what are the characteristics that make these people great? What can we learn from them? What drives them? And what makes them tick? My guest today is Steve Kahan, a serial entrepreneur that has had great success moving from the corporate world early in his career to the startup world. That kind of followed my path. Steve Kahan has successfully helped to grow six startup companies from early stage development to going public or being sold, resulting in more than $3 billion in shareholder value. That's extraordinary. And uh, Steve is currently CMO at Thycotic which is T-H-Y-C-O-T-I-C, and that'll become the seventh successful startup. Thycotic, what a great name that is. And Steve inspires teams and their organisations to take on the impossible and to succeed. He's just written a book published by Wiley, which is also my publisher, and Audible. It's available on Amazon.com called be a startup superstar. And the book teaches those graduating college and young professionals how to earn a great living doing what they love by igniting their career at a tech startup. Steve, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard all around the world. 
It's great to be with you, Bob. Um, you're someone that's concerned about the career prospects for college graduates and young professionals. What's your concern, given that the economy is roaring and job reports are really strong? What can go wrong? <laughs> well, no question. The economy is, many would say, is in great shape, for sure. Uh, but if you also sort of dig a little deeper, is that nearly 14% of college graduates with a bachelor degree within their first year are unemployed, and almost 43% are underemployed. And what's more, according to uh, Josiah Sternfeld, a friend of mine who's a professor at the University of Texas Macomb School of Business, when he asked his students where they plan to work once they graduate, the overwhelming majority say a large corporation, in spite of the fact that 65% of all jobs since 1995 have been created by small and small businesses. Business. Yeah. And if you Google the phrase, people who feel stuck in their corporate jobs, you'll get over 300 million results. That's wow. a lot of content. There must be a lot of people who feel this way. And and this is when the economy is good and of course the economy is cyclical so sure. i believe that uh, startups offer for many a viable and maybe even a better career solution uh and you really don't need to be a techie to do this and and, and achieve great success the um of course the success ratio of startups isn't that good either is it it's um it's extremely difficult to um, for a startup to succeed, yeah, there's there's no doubt uh, a number of startups uh, don't make it. But what I've learned is that there are criteria that um, that I've learned over the years that uh, sort of help separate a startup with a good story versus one that has not only a good story but a good chance for success. And you could really limit the, that risk. Right, And I guess if I would have went to just one startup and had a good outcome, maybe I would be lucky. But because I've been with several, I, I think I've learned a little bit about how you pick the good ones. And I'd be happy to share with your listeners what I look for. So, yeah, I'd, a lot of people give the advice that um, <clears throat> my son, when he left college, um, was given the advice by a very big VC to go out and work for one of the big four for three or four years, get that experience about what the world's about under your belt before you went to a startup. Is that is that good advice or bad advice? I think it absolutely de depends, and and it certainly depends on the the particular uh, company that you're looking for, and I would say. Uh, it was interesting because I actually had a, um, uh, a college MBA uh, student and I spoke to a, uh, an MBA class reach out uh, to me uh, today who was going through that very same decision, who was at a, uh, considering a startup but was also looking at uh, uh, an opportunity with Tesla as well as with uh, GE management training. Right. And, and, and I think that... Um, that uh, uh, that startups offer a, a real benefit over large corporations in the following way is that typically when you're in large corporations you are you are hired into a smaller you know what I would consider often pigeonholed role where the span of authority is is rather small and mm -hmm. uh, and at startups you get great versatility in your role you get access to senior leadership uh, for example um, if that person that I was counseling today the odds of them meeting Ellen Musk if uh, she decided to take the job at uh, Tesla is probably pretty darn slim if you can get through all even his security yeah and so uh, so I think that that versatility in role a lot of times gives you the opportunity to have amazing jumps just in terms of your learning and without question the world pays for deep expertise 
And so it depends, uh, obviously, on the, you know, the specifics of someone's situation. But I think if you're entrepreneurial, you're innovative, you like to move fast, you have sort of a startup mentality uh, that, uh, that a startup very well may offer a, a, a great, great alternative to that large organization, as you've mentioned. So you should um, join a startup that has leadership or CEO or a founder that has considerable experience in startups because most a lot of startups that I come across, um, the founders are learning the same as everyone else and they really don't have all the skills needed to be successful. Yeah, I think that that is helpful. But, you know, sometimes you could find uh, startups where the leaders are you know, are learning a little bit uh, as well. And, and that's okay. I think, I think the... The number one thing that you're looking for when you're looking at um, the management team is quality people who share your values. Yep. And so people reflect the company's culture. And if you don't think you can res- respect, trust, and admire the people that are involved, move on. And what you're looking for in particular is uh, a solid team of leaders uh, who rock your world, right? And right. so. You want to um, really get a chance to to get to know those uh, involved because you're going to be working super closely with them. You know, look into their backgrounds, talk with them about their goals, and really try to see if these are people who not only can help influence success, no matter what their experience, but also inspire um, trust and confidence of both employees as well as customers or partners. So you began your career, I understand, as a, at a Fortune 500 corporation. So how did you make that leap into the startup world? You just one night woke up and thought, you know, this Fortune 500 stuff's for the birds. I'm going to go and into startups. How did that come about? Well, so for me, like so many uh, parents, and I, I remember... Um, as I was growing up, what I quickly learned is that the traditional path from school to climbing the corporate ladder could not only be high risk for my career, it could almost feel like a death trap. Yep. And my, my, my father used to tell me so many times when I was growing up, he would say, Steve, get your degree, go to work for a large corporation, you work hard, they'll take care of you, and you'll have a great career. Yep. And then he would say, of course, your mother and I would much prefer that you become a doctor or a lawyer, but short of that, getting a job at a large corporation will do. And, and that's what I did. So I graduated college and I was processing claims. Uh, and uh, one day I was staring at my bank statement, which was down to about $50 on my bank account and the pile of claims that I was supposed to process that day, and I was really wondering how on earth would I ever get ahead. Sure. And I worked long hours, the student loans would grab a hold of my paychecks before they ever hit my bank account. And so I asked uh, myself an important question, and I dared to question my plan. And the question was, how could I earn a great living and love the work I do? And I knew that the answer was not continuing to move up the ranks of, of uh, processing claims at this um, uh, large corporation. And so it was at that time that I started to look at the startup world, and I, I made the leap and, uh, and, and uh, joined uh, uh, a company with a small team of crazies that were hell-bent on changing <laughs> the world and, uh, and have never looked back since. So how do you separate a startup with a good story versus one with a, a good story and, and has a chance of success? How do, you, how do you make that distinction? Well, so first, first of all, as I mentioned, so quality people who share your values, so we talked about that. The second thing that I look for is that the concept needs to fill a big market need. And so what you'll find, particularly in the B2B world, is that customers don't spend uh, limited budgets on nice-to-solve problems. They spend money on must-solve problems. And so you want to do your research to figure out where where that concept lies on that spectrum. And 
read what the influencers and analysts are saying about the space. Uh, you want to make sure that there's enough runway in the market, that the market's big enough. And don't be afraid if you see that there's uh, lots of competitors. In fact, be afraid if you see that there are too few competitors because it may be indicative that there's not a market. So that's the second thing I look right. at. Third is a great product that I can believe in, right? And so does that product or service resonate with you? Would you purchase it? Would you recommend it? Uh, do you have great passion for coming to work every day and, and, um, and working with that product, in particular your role in creating it? And if you can't get behind it with enthusiasm, move on. And then yeah. finally, I look for if the startup is well-funded. So you want to make sure that the startup has a long enough runway to get off the ground and check that it's properly capitalized so you have the best chance for growth and stability. Those are the factors that I look for, and I try to make sure that all of those boxes are checked. So when you... Um, <clears throat> so if I want to get a job in a Fortune 500 company, I can go to a million job search companies and find them. If I want to get a job with a startup, how the hell do I find them? <laughs> so, um, well, there's lots of traditional ways that people might find them. But let me sort of share with the listeners some, uh, a couple of maybe unconventional ways. Right. So... The first of which is uh, there are organizations known as accelerators or yes. seed accelerators. Yep. And these are application-only programs that provide capital, mentorship, and educational opportunities for the companies that they fund. Right. And what you'll find is pretty much in most major cities, these accelerators exist. And a lot of the companies that they fund uh, just post the, the jobs that they have open right from those sites, right? And so if you do a simple Google search for accelerators, you'll often find some amazingly great jobs at some very cool companies that are funded right uh, from, from those sites. So that would be one unconventional way. A second that it may seem like it's actually fairly straightforward, but it rarely happens. And that is to go and engage with startup leaders directly online. So if you're following startup leaders uh, via uh, social media, you see what they're saying uh, and to, to take a look at, at what they're saying or what they've achieved uh, it resonates with you, reach out to those leaders online and you can do so. I've had a number of people do this even with me via uh, LinkedIn Messenger. And then the key is, is that you're not salesy, you're reaching out in a sincere, heartfelt way, looking perhaps for advice from a career perspective. And, and again, if you're sincere, I mean, don't be discouraged if you don't get a ton of responses. These are busy people. But what you'll find is a lot of these leaders, they realize people help them get to where they are. And they're oftentimes uh, willing to pay it forward and to help others. So if you make that connection online and then have the ability to then uh, take the conversation back to you and get some advice in terms of where you might take your career or the best paths to take, it gives you the opportunity to talk about yourself and then uh, perhaps uh, just go right at uh, roles that might be open at that particular company or within that uh, leaders network. Uh, two ways to find some some great great jobs. So a a startup entrepreneur says, "Sure, come in and have a talk to me. Love to talk to you." So when you go in there, how do you convince the startup that you're the right candidate? Well, so I think there are two things that you can do. So first of all, is that um, First of all, you need to go in and you need to have an elevator pitch for yourself. Sure. So many people memorize elevator pitches for companies that they work for, 
but they don't have an elevator pitch for their self, for themselves. And startup executives who are hiring, they want to know why you, and they want to know it in the first 60 seconds. That would be one. Um, secondly, there are some attributes about people that make them really good at startups. So people, for example, who embrace accountability to get things done, those that are not I people, and of course I people are the ones that take all the credit, those that are we people, yep. people who are prepared to work hard because there's no easy button, and um, those that are persistent and have great tenacity because without question you will run into obstacles in startups because you're always going up against uh, bigger, better funded competitors and you've got to have the persistence and the tenacity to to overcome the obstacles that surely will come in your way. And then, of course, someone that has the willingness to learn because uh, the world moves fast. And, yeah. and even if you might have built some expertise in a particular area, my, my area of expertise is marketing, and the, the world of marketing changes so fast. And Absolutely. Staying on top of the latest trends and, and how how you can become great if, if someone uh, requires lots of learning. So I think it's having an elevator pitch, having attributes like that, and then asking the right questions. So there, I think that through the questions that you ask, not only can you differentiate yourself, but you could really suss out whether or not that it's a good fit. So, for example, here are some of the questions that I ask when I uh, assess a startup. So I might uh, ask, why is now the time for your company to exist? Or what do you love about your team and why are you the ones to solve the problem? Right. Or tell me about a paying customer and, and that journey and some of the, the go-forward revenue expectations. Or how much has the company raised and what's its runway? Or who are your investors and why did you choose them? And this next uh, last question that I'd offer up I think is super important. If you weren't building your startup, what would you be doing? Right? And so through <laughs> questions like that, you, I can assure you that those that are competing for a similar role, they won't ask a lot of those. And, uh, and just the intelligence with respect to the questions that you ask and your ability to be prepared will not only set you apart, but will also help you to understand whether or not that company actually has a great chance for success based on the criteria that I've outlined. So how do you, how do you determine what remuneration that you are going to seek? Is that... Do you leave that purely up to the um, entrepreneur or do you put some suggestions forward? Well, I think that there's no silver bullet to that answer, but let me tell you how I think about it and why I think, uh, why I think startups are cool uh, to help you as, as it relates to compensation. So what you'll find in your career is when you're successful, you will make more money along the way, and that's great. Right. And then a funny thing happens. Your expenses go up almost as much, or maybe even sometimes more, than what you make as you start to make more money. You get It's funny, that, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's amazing, right? And it's, it's like, a, like a law that just works that way. And even the most diligent of saver... Uh, it's hard to get ahead, right? And so what I found is then you think about investments, right? And so even if you invest in the stock market, I mean, many do, I do, is that you do your research, but you really don't know that management team. You, there's just so much you really don't know about that company in spite of the research. And I've often found that, that the key at a startup is being able to get stock options, particularly if you choose the right one and you get in early enough. And the reason for that is that I've always viewed that my best investment is an investment in myself and the team that I work with yep. through those stock options. And and if you choose the right one and, and you're able to negotiate stock options as 
part of that uh, compensation package and uh, that um, that if the company does has a have a successful outcome that you um, that's how you create financial separation uh, knowing that your expenses will go up and um, and regardless of what your base salary is and bonus that you're able to negotiate or working in the office or remote or benefits or things of that nature, I feel that it is the stock option that is, you know, oftentimes the key uh, to financial independence if, uh, and realizing for sure that that's only one reason why people work, but if that's uh, one of the important reasons, that is a key part for what your negotiation should be for at a startup. So... If I said to most people, what do you think it's like working for a really high-flying startup? I think they'd probably say, God, you've got to work 18 hours a day, seven days a week, bust your ass, no life, um, for three or four years or maybe more while um, you start to get traction. Is that what it's... Is that reality? <clears throat> well, so... Um you have to work hard, right? There's no doubt about it. But let me, before I sort of share what it's like um, inside a high-flying startup, let me also mention is that, um, that that is one of the big fears that people have, is that they're, they get totally out of balance, uh, yeah. work-life balance. And, uh, and there's no question that that potential exists. And so what I've learned over the years is how to deal with that. And I'd like to... Um, perhaps suggest for your listeners how to deal with that. And I guess the first thing that I would say is, is I actually don't like the term work-life balance because it suggests that there's a right and a wrong answer. And um, I don't think that it's quite that black and white, and I think it stresses people out to even think about that, is that things always ebb and flow. And I I heard a term called work-life harmony and, and I actually really like that because it does suggest that, look, from time to time, you know, different whether it's work or home, that, that you may need to give a little bit more to either one. But what I found is, is that you've got you've to be your own top priority. And the most important item on your calendar needs to be you. And for many people who manage their time out of their calendar, it just isn't the case. And so if you're listening to the show, what you need to do, what I challenge you to do right now is to, is to take a look at your calendar. So go ahead and open your calendar right now and check to see how many appointments you have with yourself this week or ne- next week. And I'll bet if you're like most, you have too few, which means that some of the most valuable uses of your time uh, is sort of not uh, necessarily supportive of your business or personal priorities. And so what I do is I, I block time off for myself and my family. I will make sure that there is time blocked off for workouts or for family time or to be at home for meals or maybe even a, from a work perspective for learning time or just to think strategically. Yeah. And so... I, I think that if that, that work-life sort of um, harmony could be managed far more effectively if you put yourself as your own top priority. And if you do that, when you're at a startup that is just flying you know, super high, super fast, you're, you're working so hard, you, you tend to be able to, uh, to manage all sides of your life far more effectively and really enjoy all aspects of your life to the fullest. Yeah, I think it was I think it was Sheryl Sandberg, I'm not sure, but <clears throat> who said the only way there's only one way to get work life balance and that is to spend the first thirty years working and then the next thirty years on yourself. Trying to mix the two doesn't work. Yeah, and I, I think that's one way to... I think you can mix the two, quite frankly. I, I think it's sort of managing your, your calendar, as I mentioned, and 
And I think that um, that it actually can be managed, but you have to be the one to manage it. And so what you'll find oftentimes is if you don't get proactive, things uh, people will fill up your time, right? And so yep. you'll be in needless meetings that you don't need to be in for sure. Um, and then you might miss something on the home front. And again, don't be concerned. I mean, occasionally, maybe there's something that you schedule on the home front that work just got in the way of. I mean, that's life, right? It, right. it happens. Like, not to get too freaked out over it. Uh, but I actually think that it can be managed. Uh, and I say this from experience because early in my career, I didn't do a really good job of that. And so this is what I've learned how to manage it. And it's something that I've counseled others on. And it actually really works. So if you're going to tell our audience to do one thing to improve their career or success of their company, what's that one thing? So, you know, it's, it, I think one thing, particularly at a startup, it would be this is we all heard the old sayings if if it ain't broke don't fix it or yeah. that's the way we've always done things around here and you know the status quo is strong because it represents a bias that could permeate the culture of a company for keeping in place the current state of affairs it's comfortable it's predictable it's perceived as less risky yeah. but I can assure you that growth requires change many times and so most every person in an organization that wants to become great at some point had to challenge the status quo. And so um, I believe that, um, that you simply can't achieve and build on success if you continue to do the same old things. And it doesn't mean changing just for change's sake. Obviously, there are certain um, things that... Uh, uh, that that might actually move the needle that you might look to change and others might have very little outcome even if you changed it fully so it's picking the right things as well but to me that uh, I think that challenging the status quo is one thing you can do particularly at a startup or really anywhere that will help you to achieve great success be a startup superstar your new book can you tell me a bit about it? Why should I buy it? Well, so uh, I think the first reason why you should buy it is if you want to learn uh, why to work in the startup uh, world versus a large corporation, how to find and land a job at the best startup. And then finally, I, under what I have called seven keys to the C-suite, 35 actions, attitudes, and behaviors that one must have to maximize their success at a startup. Right. And the book is uh, written, it's a quick read, it's very much how-to, so it's implementable, and it's backed by illustrations from my career, as well as the career of many other very successful startup entrepreneurs. Uh, I think uh, to to read the book is to is to help you to succeed at a higher level. Okay, so where can where can our listeners get the book? Where do we find it? You can get the book uh, really wherever books are sold online at Amazon.com, or you can go to my book's website, which is www.beastartupsuperstar.com. And I also want to say that anyone who reads it and has a question or comment and contacts me through my website, I respond to every single one. And so I'm uh, very willing to engage and help others in their journey uh, with their career. Terrific. Steve, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Steve and the book. Be a startup superstar. I wish I had have had that 25 years ago. Um, and the website again, Steve, is be a startup superstar.com. Be a superstar startup.com. Sounds be a startup superstar.com. Right. Same as the book. Be a superstar. 
startup, be a startup superstar.com. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 435th Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Network being broadcast from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, the center of the world. You've got to love this town. On this radio program, in our daily newsletters and in our consultancy business, we come across three mistakes that founders make over and over and over and over again. The first one is that they underestimate the importance of narrative when fundraising. And they think that if you present a good product, it's going to speak for itself. Well, it doesn't. The second mistake they make is spreading solutions too thin and trying to serve everybody initially and doing it poorly instead of taking a niche market and doing it excellently. And the third mistake that founders make is neglecting to reevaluate and reorganize talent for the current needs. When you start off, you tend to get friends and people that you might have recruited on a you know, fairly cursory basis initially. <clears throat> and that doesn't work. The further you go in, you need to have people, if you want to be successful, you can have people that are great at what they do in every position. So let's look at those. Mistake number one, underestimating the importance of narrative when fundraising. Your pitch deck's just a vehicle for telling the story that you want to tell. So start first with the narrative and build the deck after you have it nailed. Don't build the deck and then create the narrative around it. And you know, every story in human history has followed the same structure. The world is like this. Now, something's gonna change. And three, the world's now different because of that change. So this is pretty obvious, and your pitch deck needs to follow exactly the same arc. So the world's a certain way. So here you outline your background and the current state of the market, how you were introduced to the problem, how you went about solving it, why you're now an expert at that, the order of magnitude of the problem. And if you want to get a big investor, the problem should be big. Now, second something changes. So what is your solution to the problem that you've just described? And why is now the real 
ideal time to solve it. And thirdly, the world is now different with your solution. So how is your solution going to change the world? Talk about the traction the product can get, particularly metrics and milestone-focused traction, and why this this traction will continue and why that will make you big and how you'll make a profit for the investor. Now, your narrative must be concise, and anything that doesn't powerfully support one of these points should be left out. If you have a power, power <clears throat> sorry, I'm having trouble with this throat of mine. If you have a powerful narrative, you should be able to have a conversation, and at the end, whoever you're selling to should say, your company is absolutely amazing and probably going to be very successful. So spend a lot of time perfecting it. The second mistake that startup founders make is spreading solutions too thin and serving customers poorly. You need to decide who your customer is. Who's your primary customer? And focus on that primary customer. You know, don't get distracted by shiny new opportunities. A big guy comes along and he wants you, and, you know, it's going to be a big customer, but there's a lot of work to be done. And you don't need that revenue opportunity probably because it's going to mess up your path forward. I know it's tempting, but won't it won't help you serve the customer base that you set out to serve. In fact, it'll probably hurt your ability to execute as you would if you had it just focused on your original customer base. The third mistake that startup founders make is neglecting to reevaluate and reorganize talent for your current needs. Now, if you've got the wrong people in the wrong job, then you've got a problem. It'll manifest itself in executing very slowly against goals, and you'll probably screw a whole bunch of things up. Mistakes get made, wrong paths get taken, opportunities get missed, and progress can grind to a halt. And when you're a startup, Every minute is money. You've got to, you can't afford to make mistakes and you can't afford your progress to grind to a halt. So if a team member can't do the job, that person should be moved under someone who has more experience. <coughs> and it's not just about giving somebody a different role. You know, I learned a long time ago that the only way to change people is to change people. Don't think you can change somebody, particularly if you're a startup. You don't have time. You don't have the latitude to be able to do that. Now, the co-founder and CEO of Lattice, Jack Altman, who um, has done a lot of books and, and posts on building startup teams, and his advice is, Hire and fire like it's the most important job you've got at the company. Because you know what? It really is. Having the right people in the right roles can make a huge difference to your success. Having the wrong people in any roles probably means a breakdown and possibly failure. It's very hard. Startups are really hard, and uh, you've got to be good at it. That's that's why um, the interview today was so important for people to listen to. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Get out of the way. Let somebody who wants to succeed get past you. Help people up the ladder. You know, it's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Any bastard can do the ordinary. Walk down the street, there's millions of them. Walk through a shopping centre, millions of ordinary people. And if you want to be ordinary, go for it. You're getting boring as hell, but 
you know, if you go and bite off more than you can chew and chew like hell, you'll never know just how amazing this world can be and what you can achieve. You can do extraordinary things. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success, which is failure, really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting from Hollywood, California, the entertainment and technology capital of the world. And thanks for listening. See you next week.